in this podcast we share uh nope that sounded weird in this podcast <laughs> in this podcast <laughs> podcast Hi, Chapter 8. Hi, Chapter 11. You're listening to the Fearless Mini-Pod, a limited mini-series of super short episodes in which we talk about the chapters of the book, Fearless. You know, a lot of podcasts give credit to their theme music composer. Who's ours? So technically, the theme music is called Party in the Sky. It was created because I was going to do kind of a, a children's music band with my friend Mark Rosini and his wife Kristen Apple um, a few years ago and we managed to get a few sort of demo songs put together but we um, they ended up moving to Cranbrook and we never got to um, bring that project to fruition so I had this song I had written lyrics to and my friend Mark had composed the music to and had done the recording uh, for Party in the Sky and uh, when I decided that we would do this podcast I needed theme music and it was one of the only things I had on record that didn't have lyrics that would make no sense for this podcast so it's actually a children's song well it's perfect and it worked out and it sounds great and I love that it it's like something that you guys came up with yeah it's original and thank you Mark Rosini and thank you Krista (laughs) for giving us permission to use it (laughs) yeah In this podcast, we share with each other a specific part of each chapter that Becky and I have highlighted for any reason and see if the other one of us selected the same part. Chapter six is called Fear is a Teacher, and it was written by Andrea Kelly. Andrea is a transformational coach and writer. She discovered her passion for self-development after struggling silently with an eating disorder for more than 20 years. It was her healing journey that propelled her toward her passion for personal growth and to become a certified hypnotherapist and transformational coach. She also has a podcast called Your Best Being, which you can find on anchor.fm. You can connect with Andrea through her blog, www.yourbestbeing.com, and on Instagram at at Andrea Kelly Love. So that's at A-N-D-R-E-A-K-E-L-L-Y-L-O-V-E. Okay, Becky, in Andrea's chapter, Fear is a Teacher, what quote chimed for you and why? This one was another one where uh, the author's life was really different from mine. And her eating disorder is the main thing that she talks about when it comes to fears. And I can't say for sure that I've ever had an eating disorder you know, it's kind of hard to self-diagnose yourself one way or the other. Like, yeah, you're completely right that you do or do not have something. Um, But we can pretty much all relate. I think if you're a woman, I mean, who knows about (laughs) women and girls and I suppose young boys too, born in like 2021, you know, maybe there's hope for them, you know, but um Definitely, we were a product of the like teenagers in the '90s, like yes. the Calvin Klein era of like super thin models. The, that aesthetic yes. definitely impacted yes. people our age in terms of our body image. Totally. Yeah, yeah, the '90s revamp of Twiggy. And yeah. Stuff. 
So for the podcast, once again, going to force myself to be strict and stick with the first one that I had highlighted that jumped out at me, which was, at my worst, I was vomiting over 10 times per day. It consumed me in a way that gave me no time for anything else. It wasn't like I woke up and thought, I'm going to start my eating disorder today. It was more like I need to be perfect and I need to feel in control. That one, like, I have not grown up feeling like I need to be perfect. And I don't know whether or not I need to be in control because that's one of those things where you can find parts of your life where you go, okay, I made that decision because it gave me some control or I made that decision because I, I'm, I'm in a role where I need to have control, like when you're a mom or something. Yeah. Um, but I liked the way she framed it. And I think probably what made me highlight it was on the one hand, I find it interesting when people are open and vulnerable about the details of things like disorders. Mm -hmm. And so she's sharing with us that she was vomiting over 10 times per day. I haven't had bulimia. So I don't know if you hear someone has bulimia, you don't know what that does to their day. You don't know if, if yeah. you don't have it yourself, right? Like, yeah. So what an incredibly time consuming, you know, affliction. And, yeah. and uh, I think the secondary reason why I highlighted it was, I think a lot of people who are hard on others for, you know, what they would consider weaknesses, or they just simply don't understand. Like I often, I've, I've referenced my grandparents' generation before, because they are so starkly different in their mindset, attitudes about handling your life, because they were the generation that went, you know, grew up through the depression, and then yeah. dealt with the World War Two, and not to mischaracterize or put words in the mouth of my grandparents, I'm just saying that if my grandpa were alive today and he heard some of the different conditions that psychologists are uh, diagnosing people with, you know, my grandpa in particular might be the type of person who would be like, oh, get over it. Or, oh, yeah. just, you know, like that, that's for yourself by your bootstrap. bootstrap. Yeah. We all have problems. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so to someone like that, this is a really good point to make, which is I, it wasn't like I woke up and thought I'm going to start my eating disorder today. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody, I don't know anyone who's like, I am decided to cash into my problems. Yeah. Like to really just go, go for consciously, intentionally. This is my wallowing in my problems. Yeah. yeah. That's not what people do. Right. It's, it's, I mean, there's people who have addictions and they battle like consciously in front of their face, working the steps, battling their addiction every day, especially when they're newly sober and stuff like that. So that is kind of different, but people are their own frogs in a beaker slowly and the temperature is slowly getting warmed up until you realize you finally realize you have an addiction or whatever. Yeah. It points to a reason to have compassion for others. Yeah. Because it's not a conscious choice. Like I'm, I'm digging in. I just don't think that people actually operate that way. Yeah. And you know, we're so much more complicated and they're so can get stuck into you can get stuck in the idea of trying to figure out the cause and the effect and maybe you know eventually it's so cyclical that you know the cause is the effect and then the effect is the cause mm -hmm. um, and that actually kind of leads to my sentence that I underlined it's actually well, that was my next question segue. did we pick the same quote so I'm guessing the answer no. is no oh <laughs> you know what we didn't pick the same quote at all but huh. your train of thought has led so perfectly to my quote <laughs> and where I was going to go with that that it kind of worked out very poetic 
same as you. I don't, I didn't, I've never had an eating disorder, but I've definitely mm-hmm. had, you know, like low self-esteem and, mm. um, you know, been insecure about my body. And so yeah. there were definitely elements of that, that I, um, identified with, but I'll just jump right into my sentence, which is, I then understood that my fears had very little to do with food and more to do with an idea that I would always fall short of who I needed and wanted to be. So we don't really understand cause and effect when we're trying to figure out ourselves and figure out not just our fears, but our isms or the things that are holding us back or the things we need to overcome or our addictions or whatever they are. And so for Andrea, obviously, she suffered from disordered eating. Her disordered eating was a symptom of sort of a bigger, broader issue that she had that had to do with, she says, feeling like she's always going to fall short, you know, not living up or measuring up. And for her, that issue manifested in part in terrible disordered eating for a long time. And she had to realize that and then face that reality to come out the other side and find a new, healthier version of herself. What I wonder about is, what, where did the, I would always fall short of who I needed and wanted to be come from? In Andrea or in me or just in all of us? I think in, in everybody, like, you know, I know you came from a loving household. I came mm-hmm. from a loving household. There was praise. There was self-esteem building attempted, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, whether it was successful or not does to be determined, I guess. But, um, and so it is interesting to me when, there's bookshelves and bookshelves of people who are who analyze that talking about negative self-talk it's interesting to me that it ever happens in the first place yeah I mean I think it seeps into our subconscious in so many different aspects of our lives and you know I grew up in a family where my you know my parents definitely praised me and loved me and supported me and and yet at the same time I you know grew up in a family that was competitive, academically competitive, Mm. athletically competitive. I grew up in a family where like everybody was like a high achieving somebody or something, you know, and very successful. And I, I'm under the impression now that they're adults and I'm an adult that they also grew up with the same sense of sort of self doubt that I did. And it sort of just perpetuated through the generations and it's part and parcel of striving for excellence and when your parents encourage you to strive for excellence then you get into your head it really does come at us from every direction even if it doesn't seem like it outwardly and so it's not my family's fault it's not my parents fault that I necessarily grew up feeling like I wasn't going to measure up and maybe it wasn't Andrea's parents' fault and and who knows, like you Mm -hmm. can come from really supportive, loving families and you can come from families that are kind of a hot mess and they shouldn't have raised kids and still (laughs) both of those kids, regardless of the families they came from, lie in bed at night biting their nails and worrying about, you know, the silly thing that they said at work and and they don't measure up. So maybe it's a human part of the human experience and the point of the book and the point of this podcast and the point of these conversations is to like dig into that and try to figure out why so that we can yeah, I, feel good about ourselves and feel self-confident, self-assured, and maybe find ways to skip this, yeah. this like affliction when it comes Fast to raising forward our kids. through the part like, where, yeah, you're, you know, oh, my kids gonna... are going to grow up and be adults and they're going to have their own um, self-doubts and their own worries and they're going to lie in bed at night biting their nails but if I yeah. can sort of alleviate some of that pressure or if I can help them avoid some of the pitfalls that I fell into sort of like 
mentally. Equip them with the tools. Yeah. Yeah. So this could make life a little bit more pleasant for them. Um, I'm thinking back to when I was younger and like, I can't think of off the top of my head. I can't think of any specific examples where I've been explicitly by like a family member or like someone who's formative in my formative years, you know, telling me directly that I don't measure up in a certain way or I can, or I can't do something like my example of music. I was confident in my ability to sing, confident in my ability to compose music myself, but was terrified of being in a band because Mm -hmm. bands are for guys. You know, my brother didn't tell me that I can't be in a band or that I'm not good enough. It's the opposite, but somehow, somewhere, some way, I guess society, you know, there were individual women who were solo artists, but anyone who was in a band like four non blondes or something, I'm a little bit younger than people who would be into that band, for example. I mean, there were girl groups, but that's not the same thing. And no, so... I mean, I, I understand. Like, there's there's the idea of the, the old boys club, and, mm-hmm. you know, you feel it from childhood on up. There's something intimidating about either groups mm-hmm. of boys or men mm-hmm. or about industries or professions, yeah. professions or hobbies that yeah. are male-dominated, yeah. and it just makes you not want to enter the ring. Like, I totally understand what you're saying. It's It's a little bit of the sort of female experience, this idea that, like, it's not for you because it's male dominated. Yeah. Like, no, like, again, nobody directly said it, but no, I just, not. somehow I got the message. Very uh, subtle. <laughs> yeah. Did you, I don't know if this was like a term that was like unique to where I grew up, but like, did people use the word try hard when you were yeah. like younger? So That's like anyone who mm-hmm. was maybe good at something or yeah. wanted to like jump into trying a new thing was often yeah. called a try hard at it. Yeah. You not want not to. Like, try. God forbid I try to learn how to skateboard with the boys because someone's going to be like, she's a try hard. Yeah. <laughs> no one yeah. wants to be called that. No. So it makes you afraid to even try anything. It makes you afraid to like stand out. Here we are talking about fear again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I, I I'm even nervous to spit this out. I'm nervous to spit out that I had a great childhood, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. <laughs> people aren't going to um, take my feelings or opinions seriously because I didn't have really any trauma. It's, yeah. it's you know I know people in my family who have had afflictions or negative stories that are their own business or whatever, but yeah. me personally. I am incredibly lucky. And so that makes me feel like my experience is not worth as much as other people's. Yeah, your voice, you know, that's one of the yeah. reasons that you and I both talked about being afraid to like co-author this book because we <laughs> yeah. were like, what do we have to say about fear? We had these wonderful yeah. lives and these wonderful childhoods. And I, yeah. you know, I read the other chapters. These other women have had actual true trauma and have mm-hmm. overcome huge amounts of adversity and then I'm like my little chapter way at the end is like what am I doing here but I that's that's my self-doubt again I have to remind myself that like my opinion and my thoughts are valid and I know that the other women in this book who wrote chapters that describe actual trauma Mm -hmm. would not think less of my chapter because I had a happy childhood with loving supportive parents in the upper middle class family and all the privileges that come with that. So yeah, we need to know that what we think is, is valid. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and our opinions are valid and our experiences are valid and, um, stop comparing ourselves to other people. Right. This is just comparing ourselves to other people and feeling like we're not worthy of X. Yeah. And I mean, we're good examples of like, even if you have a great idyllic by most standards childhood, society's negativity is going to (laughs) seep in somehow. You can still be (laughs) effed up somehow. (laughs) Sorry, mom and dad, you did a great job. Yeah, you tried. Not your best. You tried. Your very best. That does it for your teaser taste of Chapter 6 from Fear Less. You can order Fear Less online through the publisher, Golden Brick Road Publishing, www.goldenbrickroad.pub. Or, of course, use Indigo or Amazon. Thanks for listening. Come back next time to hear if Becky and I choose the same quote within Chapter 7, which is titled, Fear is a Gift, Discovering It at the Top of the Stairs. And it was written by Laureen Hughes. Join the conversation at our Instagram, at KTRJ Minipod, or you can send this podcast a voice message on anchor.fm. Bye. 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 It's in the coming weeks. Join in the conversation at our Instagram, at your page flip. It's very loud. Oh, I didn't touch anything. Oh, that's creepy. That sounded yeah. like turned, turned a page. No. There's a ghost. You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Reading. Get out of here. <laughs> Read quieter. Beetlejuice. <laughs>